0: of the body. If you've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, there's a calling on your life to be a part of the body of Christ. You are a part of the body of Christ, and there's a calling on your life to be active in that identity as a part of the body. And one of the ways that we do that is we learn about the way that God's Spirit works through us, and then we yield ourselves to that. We, we submit ourselves to that, and we ask the Lord, Lord, what would you do in me, but not just in me, Lord, what would you do through me? There's a big difference between those two things. I've got your attention for a second because I've still got you standing, so I'm going to talk about that just for a moment while I know that the blood flow is still going. Okay. There's a lot of difference between us praying, Lord, do something in me, and Lord, do something through me. We have to get to the place, if we're going to fulfill the will of God for our life, we, each and every one of us individually, must get to the place where we are praying and pursuing after that through me type of relationship with the Spirit, through me. Sometimes we'll call that being a conduit. It's just a different way of saying the same thing. I'm saying the same thing right now. Lord, do something through me. And when we start to pray that way, we open ourselves up to everything that the Holy Ghost wants to do in the body through us. That's where the supernatural starts to be released. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 starts off, and the Apostle Paul states his purpose for writing this next section of text. He says, I wouldn't have you to be ignorant. All of this that comes is so that we can understand. And when we understand, we can start to apply. So that's, that's the goal. We're not, just, we're not going for just the transference of information, but we're going for transformation of our behavior. I want to understand." so that I can apply this to my life and change and grow accordingly. Verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, as he wills. You may be seated. These utterance gifts, gifts of utterance, are comprised of three of these supernatural gifts. And the three are prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. So I want to take some time tonight to talk about two of these that very, very often, almost all the time, work in tandem with one another. And it's the gift of And then the second one is the interpretation of tongues. Before we begin to talk about what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has to say about the gift of tongues, we first need to slow down and acknowledge something very important. And I'm slowing down here deliberately because I don't want to leave anybody behind tonight and I don't want there to be any confusion. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, before the Apostle Paul closes this particular topic off, he makes a statement that we quote a lot of times, but in context it's talking about this. He says, God is not the author of confusion. So it's not our intention for anyone to walk out tonight confused or wondering what in the world's going on, or everything I thought I knew has just been shattered into a hundred pieces. So we need to slow down. We need to make some distinctions and define our terms a little bit. Before we start to talk about what 1 Corinthians says about tongues, we need to see what the New Testament says about tongues. The New Testament, if we were to broaden out a little bit, and we're not talking about just 1 Corinthians anymore, but we're talking about the New Testament as a whole, we need to say that the New Testament says that there's three uses of tongues. Three uses of tongues. The first one that we need to understand that is bedrock and fundamental to everything else is what we see in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, if you're a note taker, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19 are a few areas that we can go to, and we will. We will go to them. But what the book of Acts presents to us as the first use of tongues is what we're going to call evidential tongues. Evidential tongues. Meaning, these tongues serve as the evidence of something. They serve as the evidence of of the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost in a person's life. When somebody is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost for the first time, the New Testament teaches that there's going to be a sign. And that sign's going to be the evidence that's indisputable. And that evidence is they are going to speak in tongues. They're going to speak in tongues. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues, cloven tongues, divided tongues, as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost was first poured out in the New Testament on everybody, the evidence that it had taken place was that they spoke with tongues. Go with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, there's a man named Cornelius. He's he's a Gentile. He's not Jewish. He's not in the family tree of Abraham. He's not part of the private club that had always been the religious identity of God's people. He's kind of on the outside looking in. His name's Cornelius. He's praying to get closer to God, and by all accounts, it seems like he's praying an impossible prayer. It seems like he's praying something... That there's just no way that he can get on the inside. But Cornelius is devout, he's sincere, and he's earnestly and fervently praying that God would reveal to him what else he needs to do to draw closer to him. And through a series of visions and things happening in the supernatural, God puts him into contact with the apostle Peter. And Peter goes to where Cornelius and his family is, and when they meet up, Acts chapter 10 tells us that Simon Peter preached the gospel to them, told them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then verse 44 says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. Praise God. And those who were of the circumcision believed, those who were of the circumcision uh, were astonished, as many came with Peter Because the gift of the Holy Ghost had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, how did they know that the the gift of the Holy Ghost had been poured out on the Gentiles also? Well, the very next verse tells us. For, or because, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. It was evidential. It was something that was a sign. There wasn't going to be any confusion about it. There wasn't going to be any doubt about it. It was going to be clear-cut evidence that the Holy Ghost had taken up residence in somebody's life. Acts chapter 19, a completely different set of circumstances. A completely different location and group of people. But Acts chapter 19 verse 1 says, As it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And the disciples said to him, We haven't so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism, or John the Baptist's baptism. It was a baptism of repentance. It meant something, but it wasn't the fullness of what God had for his people in the new covenant and then Paul said John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him that is on Christ Jesus and when they heard this when the disciples heard that they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul had laid hands on them the Holy Spirit came upon them and what happened They spoke with tongues and prophesied. Evidential tongues. It's the foundational use of tongues in the New Testament. Everybody that is filled with the gift of God's Spirit in the New Testament speaks in tongues. They speak in a language that they didn't learn. It's not their natural language, and it's not a language that they learned in a school classroom. It's something that is supernatural that happens, and it's a piece of evidence that lets them and everyone in attendance know that they've been filled with the gift of God's spirit. And what happened originally in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, if you read the entire story of what happened that day in Jerusalem, it shows that while speaking in tongues is always this speaking in tongues is always unknown to the person that's speaking. It's possible for someone else in attendance to have human knowledge, not supernatural, but to have human knowledge of that language and to understand what's being said in that tongue. Acts chapter 2, there was Jews from all over the Mediterranean world that had come on a pilgrimage journey to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. They'd come from all over the place. They had all different kinds of language identities and cultural identities, but they had this one thing in common. They were Jews. They were observant Jews. They were coming to observe the feast of the uh, of Pentecost. And they were there in Jerusalem, and it was one big melting pot that day, and as they poured out of that upper room, the 120 came out of that upper room, and they've been filled with the gift of God's Spirit for the first time, and they are speaking in tongues in languages that they did not learn and that they do not understand and it is a supernatural sign I mean it's getting everybody's attention it's hard to miss there's people that are standing around on the street that day that overheard the language that these were speaking and they understood what they were saying and so that's possible it's possible, but it, they were doing so in their brother Turner. They were doing it in their human understanding. They had human knowledge of that. It wasn't a supernatural thing that was happening at that particular moment. It was that they had a human understanding of the language that this other person was speaking, as the evidence of of, of receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, yes. Right, right, and that kind of thing happens and 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 you may be seated here and, and think, "Oh, I've never seen that happen. well, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, and the reason that it, we don't the reason that we can't go around the room and every single one of us have a story like this is because we uh live in a part of the world that really primarily speaks one language you go to uh, you go to a very urban area where there's a lot of people. From different parts of the world, and you, and, and you start to get people together, and there's a church that starts to form, and this person's from that background, and this person's from this part of the world, and they've got all these different things going on, you're much more likely to see a story like Sister Doty just told happen. But in a setting like, and that doesn't mean it's impossible in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, because it's absolutely possible. But just the odds are kind of stacked against it. Uh, I, I don't speak Malaysian. Does anybody speak Malaysian? All right. There's, there's probably not many of us in the room that speak more than one language. I know there's some, but there's not many. There's not a great deal of us. And so what we've seen happen, what they've seen happen in Acts chapter 2 was the result of them being in a very metropolitan, multicultural environment all at once, and it just happened. And it was completely natural. Uh, because there was people that had knowledge of all these these different languages from all over the world, and it got their attention, just the way the same way that it got Sister Doty's attention, it got their attention, and that's one of the ways, that's one of the, the the witness points of 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 the gospel in action, is that this this is something that's supernatural. This is where the supernatural and the natural come together, and it's a, it's it's a point of witness when we get to a different point, but. When somebody's in attendance that is a little skeptical or doubtful about all this, and something like that happens, Sister Doty, I mean, you can't manufacture that kind of stuff, and so it's a point of witness, and that's what got everyone's attention in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem that day. That's why they weren't able to write them off and say, ah, they're just full of new wine, because they heard them, they said, aren't all these guys just Galileans? I know these guys don't speak seven languages. I know that in this group of 120 people that just poured out of this upper room, I know that there's not that much language diversity in this group. What in the world is going on? And there was only one answer. Simon Peter stood up and he preached the gospel. And it all started to make sense. It all started to make sense. Now, here's here's what we have to make sure we don't do. We we do not need to refer to this as... um, as, as the gift of tongues. What I've been talking about right now, evidential tongues, when somebody initially receives the gift of the Holy Ghost and they speak in tongues and it's the evidence, We, when we're describing that and when we're talking about that, we do, do not call that the gift of tongues. That is the gift of the Holy Ghost. Furthermore, let me let me make a distinction and just, again, I don't want to confuse, but... The the gift of the Holy Ghost and tongues are not synonymous terms. Speaking in tongues can be the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost is not tongues. And tongues is not the Holy Ghost. And it's it's important to make that distinction. It may seem like you're splitting hairs, but I promise you you're not. Because if you if you make that distinction, then you can come to realize that there's not just one use of tongues, there's three different uses of tongues in the New Testament. And if you don't make that distinction, then it can be hard to explain what the Apostle Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians. Then you kind of find yourself cornered up a little bit, and you have to start kind of doing... Uh, you know, theological gymnastics to make sense of what in the world's going on. And you don't want to, and there's no need for that. There's just no need for that. What you need to see in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, even in present day when somebody receives the Holy Ghost and they speak in tongues, it's, it's evidence, it's not the gift of tongues. It's somebody receiving the gift of Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in tongues. That's what it is. And so the gift of the Holy Ghost is for everybody. But not everybody is going to exercise the gift of tongues that's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 14. Not necessarily. But the gift of the Holy Ghost is for everybody. I want to be abundantly clear on that point. The gift of the Holy Ghost as described in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, and other places, that is for everybody. And everybody ought to aspire to it. And everybody ought to have that experience. It is the will of God that every person of faith that believes that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who died, was buried, and resurrected. It is the will of God for you to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. It's biblical. And it is not an accessory to your faith. It's not an optional add-on. It's not for the super saints. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. It has to be. It has to be. Are there any questions? That's such an important point. I want to stop and ask, is there any questions or comments? Because I do not want to move on and miss this. It usually means that somebody is starting to surrender and yield themselves to what God's doing in their life. It, it usually is just kind of a physical, I mean, we speak through our mouths, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things that kind of starts to manifest as somebody starts to give themselves over to the, the control, the leadership of the Holy Ghost in their life. Right. Right. Well, what Brother Anderson's referring to is the book of James. James says, and we all know, you know, from experience probably, that controlling our tongue is very difficult. We, you, no one can control their tongue fully without the help of God. Um, all of us have said things that we wish we could take back. And when we surrender that part of our body to God, it's a sign of total surrender to God. And uh the and, and and God gives us some evidence that it's happened. And it's when we start speaking in tongues. Right. Right the scriptures say that that same spirit that raised up jesus from the dead is going to quicken our mortal bodies it's 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 god's spirit dwelling in you that is going to that's going to resurrect you that that's that's the the big animating force in your life that's going to not just not just lead you we shouldn't just be led by the spirit in this life but in the life to come it's what's going to carry us over onto eternity we have to have it we must it's an important conviction to have we talk about sometimes about being convicted of things this is one of those things i'm convicted of i'm not going to move on this it's absolutely essential it's biblical it's not just pentecostal tradition it's not just a denominational feature it's biblical. Anyone else? I'm 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 slowing down. Yes, Brother Hewlin.
1: Sure. Right. Right.
0: Well, some, some, and 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 I want to take a step back and 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 address an objection. Some people will deny what we're talking. They'll deny evidential tongues. Um, I don't think you'll find many Christians that will say you. I mean, I think everybody will agree. You need the you need God's Spirit. I mean, that's one of the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. Kind of no matter which stripe you're uh, identified with, but what it comes down to is some some will deny the role of tongues and the evidential tongues, and and some will say that. Not everyone should seek the baptism of the Spirit with this accompanying sign of tongues. And a lot of times when they do that, they will cite 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as kind of the, the, the proof text for this. And when you start to compare the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians, it reveals that they're confusing the uses of tongues. That these. The, the book of Acts, talking about evidential tongues, is not discussing the same use of tongues that Paul is talking about when he writes to the Corinthians. And a lot of times, that objection of when we, when we take a hard stance and say, you need the, gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the accompanying sign of tongues... The objection to that a lot of times stems from a misunderstanding and a conflation of what is taught to us about tongues in the book of Acts and what's taught to us about tongues in the letters to the Corinthians. So let's look at it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. This was a letter in the New Testament that was written to Holy Ghost-filled believers. That's maybe the most important distinction to make of all. This is a letter written to the church. This is a letter written to people that had had the same experience that is described in the book of Acts. They were the church. This wasn't written as an open letter to the city of Corinth at large. It was written to the Corinthian church to the saints of God who were at Corinth. These were people that were already filled with the Holy Ghost. They'd already been baptized with the Spirit. They'd already spoken in tongues at least once. And that's the perspective when they opened up that letter from the Apostle Paul. That's the perspective from which they were reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, 14, and so on. Paul didn't... Paul never taught them that there would be some of them that never spoke in tongues. Paul did not write to the Corinthian church and say, there's some of you that are never going to speak with tongues. These were people that had already been born again of the Spirit. They'd already spoken in tongues. It was They'd already had the evidence of tongues in their life. But Paul did explain That not everyone would exercise a public gift of tongues. And that when some did, there, there needed to be order and they needed to follow certain guidelines. And that's what 1 Corinthians 14 is about. He writes and he says, there's going to be some of you that are going to have this gift of tongues start to operate. And when you do, these are the guidelines that you need to follow because things need to be done decently and in order because God is not the author of confusion. Now in the book of Acts, you've got those historical accounts of what happened in the early days of the church, and all of those accounts say that they spoke in tongues together. They spoke in tongues. It doesn't say that they took turns speaking in tongues. It says they spoke in tongues together. When they come out of the upper room in Acts chapter 2, they're in the streets of Jerusalem. Everybody's speaking in tongues. It's evidential tongues. When Cornelius' household is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 10, they all spoke with the Holy Ghost. Or they all spoke with tongues. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they knew that they'd been filled with the Holy Ghost because they all spoke with tongues. They all did at the same time. As they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. Acts chapter 19, same thing. Same, same chain of events unfold. They, they spoke with tongues and prophesied when they received the Holy Ghost. But when Paul writes the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 27, it says that in a public worship service, believers should take turns speaking in tongues to the congregation, and only two or three messages should be given. Totally different. Completely different. The audience is different. And the description of what's supposed to take place is different. They're not at all the same thing. In Acts, in the book of Acts, no one interpreted the tongues. Or even tried to. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that if someone speaks in tongues in a service, that that person should pray for the interpretation. Not at, so, I, I, I only took gave us that snapshot just to show that a lot of times when there's an objection to evidential tongues, it's coming from a conflation of these two things, they're not at all the same thing. What, what is described in the book of Acts and what is described in First Corinthians are not the same use of tongues, and that's not grounds for denying evidential tongues. You must Be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. Are there any questions before we move on? That's a good question. That's a good question. And that's what I want to get to here in just a minute. I want, I'm going to get to that. Put a pin in it. I'm going to get to it. Let me talk, before we get to that, though, I think it's really important to talk about this second use of tongues because I want to, I want to talk about it before we get to the, the last part, which is what Brother Bob has asked about. The second use of tongues, go ahead. Mm-mm. No. Good question. Very good question. No. No, for there to be a second interpretation, there needs to be a second message in tongues. And I'll, I'll talk about that more here in a minute, too. It's a good question. These questions are the whole reason why Paul wrote some of this. And I'm not, I'm not standing up claiming to have new insight into this, The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, wrote these things down for us so that we wouldn't be ignorant of such things, so that we could know. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right. Uh, What I've seen concerning what you're talking about is someone start to interpret and maybe... uh, even start to give uh, a message in tongues, and then stop, and then someone else step in. Uh, there's an always there's there's also a humanity element to the giftings, and uh, I've seen people that have started operating in the gift and then just kind of realize, hey, I'm I'm doing something I've never done before or something supernatural and stop. And I've seen someone else step in and finish where they, does that make sense? I just didn't, I didn't know what you were talking about when you said that because sometimes we can, uh, We, we need to understand that, that there's going to be one message, one interpretation, and sometimes either one of those cannot be complete because the individual stopped. What is that?
0: That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14.
1: <laughs> That's a gift right there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, the, uh, I have no idea where I was.
0: Let me tell you about the second use of tongues. The first one is evidential. We've talked about that one for a while now. But it's important. It's foundational. Let me tell you about the second use of tongues, okay? I'm going to call, you can attach a bunch of different words to it. I'm going to call it devotional. I'm going to call it devotional tongues. Uh, what I mean by that is, it's private. It's your. Pri- it's for your private. Pri- it's for your private edification. You know what I mean when I say edification, building up. It's for you to be. It's for your personal benefit. It's devotional. It's bet- It's you and God. It's not. You know. It's not for me. It's not to benefit me. It's not to benefit anybody else. It's not even so that. It's not even evidence to you that you have you've already got the evidence so it's not evidential it's devotional it's devotional look at first corinthians chapter 14 i'm going to read a few pa- i'm not going to read the whole chapter because this would be part of your bible reading this week long chapter but you can you can read it first corinthians chapter 14 verse 4 says he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself that's what i'm talking about edifies himself But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Let's look at verse 14 and 15. Just skip ahead. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Let's look at verse 18. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would, in the church, yet in the church. So that means in a collective setting, in a public setting. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. These references, what they do is they indicate to us that it is desirable for everyone who has received the Holy Ghost to continue to speak in tongues throughout their lives. It's a good thing that you have tongues in your personal prayer. It's a good thing. It's to be desired. Um, A lot of people speak in tongues frequently as a part of their personal prayer. Um, There's no hard and fast rule as to how much you need to. Anyone who teaches otherwise is, I, I don't know that they have scripture for it, but the Apostle Paul says, I speak in tongues more than you all. So, there's something to be said about speaking in tongues. We ought—it's to be desired. It's something we ought to—we ought to want it to be a part of our private prayer time. Speaking in tongues, um, but there's no hard and fast rule on it, and it's nothing to develop a complex over. Hear me, don't develop a complex over it. Um, it's. Right. Right. Some people, some people will only ever, some after the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, some people only speak in tongues after that in times of a great renewing or a, a, under a, a strong anointing. And it's not a part of their, you know, you don't have to, let me just say it like this, you don't have to be able to pray in tongues on command. I mean, come on. That's, that's, that's weird. I'm just going to say it. If you can, great. but don't go, don't, give, don't have a complex over it. You, you, we need to be and I've already said it till I'm almost sick tonight because I, I want to be understood. You need to speak in tongues as the initial evidence. That is something you need to be very very crystal clear on. But devotionally, there's no hard and fast rule for how much it needs to take place. Um, Now, if you're not praying in tongues because you don't have a prayer life, that's a problem. So I'll hit the other side of the coin very quickly and say, if you're not fervently praying in English or otherwise, that's a problem. You need to have fervent prayer. You need to be living by faith. You need to be bringing yourself into the, into obedience with the Word of God. You need to be pursuing holiness. And when you do that, a lot of times speaking in tongues is going to typically take its place in your life, devotionally, and it's going to be something. And, and, and when you do that, it's going to be something that personally edifies you and doesn't turn into a preoccupation. It's nothing to be preoccupied over. But it is something to invite in and to not be skittish about because it it can have a tremendous benefit in your life. So let me, before we move on, let let me say this. Don't use devotional tongues as the barometer for whether or not you're still filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not what it is. It has a purpose, but that's not it. The fruit of the Spirit is better, and that's where you need to be looking at. For when you ask yourself, am I filled with the Holy Ghost? Is the Holy Ghost on the throne of my heart? Is the Holy Ghost in control of my life? Am I yielded and submitted to God? The way that you answer that is by looking for the presence of the fruit of the Spirit, not by... How many hours did I pray in tongues last month? You're setting yourself up for, you're gonna give yourself, you're gonna make yourself crazy that way. Don't do that. Don't do that. Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter, third use of tongues. So the first is evidential, the second is devotional. The third that I want to address is the gift of tongues. And that's what this has been all about. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what I mean by the gift of tongues is this is not a private thing. This is a public utterance that is meant to be interpreted. But the Bob asked a great question earlier, how do we know the difference in a setting like this? Because in a setting like this, a lot of times you will have people speaking in tongues devotionally even in a setting like this. They'll be travailing, they'll be... Receiving a blessing from God at the altar or in their seat somewhere, and they'll be praying. But it's for them. It's, it's not for you. It's for them. But it'll happen in a setting like this. We understand? But there are moments when there's a third use of tongues that starts to operate, and it's a gift of tongues, and it's a public utterance. And a lot of times what you'll see happen is a lot of times everyone in attendance will know the difference. They'll know the difference. The person speaking in the tongue will know the difference, and they'll speak with assurance and with authority, and they'll lift up their voice because it is designed to be a public utterance, a public utterance. Now, if you get somebody that's operating the gift of tongues that kind of has a timid personality, they may not be as loud as me. They may have a little bit of a more quiet voice, but it'll still be their public voice. And the Holy Ghost, a lot of times, will drive that, and everybody in attendance will recognize the difference. And that's why we need to teach about this, because when we recognize that difference, we need to settle down and be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. And a lot of times, there'll be someone up here that will recognize it with us, and they'll say something along those lines, say, hey, everybody, let's... Let's be sensitive to what the Lord's doing right now. And a lot of times we don't even need to say that because the majority of people have already cued in on that, and that's what we're doing together.
1: I just want to go back to Brother Bob's statement or or his question. Mm -hmm. The initial uh, infilling of the Holy Ghost, most people know when someone's praying for the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. And we recognize that as, as their first time in, in speaking in tongues because they're really pressing, and they have been. In there. And a lot of times they're talking to me or they're talking to him or you uh, that I'm searching for the Holy Ghost. The, uh, the gift of tongues, getting back to that, God is not the author of confusion, and there won't ever be any confusion. And a lot of times you'll see the whole atmosphere change in the, in the, in the temple of the service and 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 they used to call it the holy hush. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? and it just kind of gets really quiet all across the atmosphere changes and everything changes, and that person that's used in the gift will 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 go forth uh, you'll know the difference you'll you'll know the difference between the two uh, and I'm primarily saying that to, to Brother Bob. You'll know the difference too. You've been around this enough and seen it, and 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 you you know the you know there's something different taking place right now, right? Um, it's not anything. I don't think we should uh, look at it as something where we're. we're we're afraid to operate in these gifts. Now, you know, I've taught on them extensively through the years, but um, it should be something we desire. The, the, in fact, the scripture says, "Desire the better gifts." Amen. And that'll cause you to ask yourself the question: What is the better gift? Right? Um, we should have a hunger for that and to operate in these gifts. And 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 one thing uh that I was going to say when 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 ryan uh, brother Ryan had asked his question, I had a friend that uh, we'd have we'd have somebody that would start giving a message in tongues and they, and they in, in service this is when I was at Brother Mangus' church, and they'd just stop. Well, this other brother would start in with the tongues because there was no interpretation to that. He would start in with the tongues and then he would give the interpretation. That was his personality. He just operated in both gifts. So it wasn't two tongues and then an interpretation. It was actually him completing what had started and then given the interpretation, uh, that's the best way that I can understand, I can explain that. Uh, there was no confusion about it. Your spirit, the spirit of God, will bear witness that it's true, right? How right. many' ever heard somebody that's, that's gave a message in tongues in the flesh? Have you ever heard that? You knew it too, didn't you? You knew that that was them. And you know what? Uh, the Lord bless them. I hope the anointing hits them and, and they take off. And they, maybe they just have so much uh, desire that they're trying too hard. I pray to God they're not doing it for the attention. Amen? Uh, it's a very humbling, and it's, uh, it's something to be... Uh, desirous of i'm sorry for no hijacking your but i i did i i wanted to explain that because brother ryan i've heard that and and questioned it also in fact is i even went to brother mangus about it and asked him you know hey brother mangus i don't understand that and i needed an explanation and you know what that means when you have questions that means you're giving thought it means you're being attentive uh brother bob You'll know, brother, the dip, you'll, you've been around this. You know, uh, you've seen people that initially received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In fact, is uh, I've seen you speak in tongues. The devotional. and And how do you tell the difference in that? The whole environment will change. And there will be no confusion. There won't be... Fifteen people going, amen? And, and a lot of times where people make the mistake, and you've heard me teach on this and talk about it in the, in the past, where, where people kind of mistake and, and, and wonder what's going on is because they mistake travail for tongues. Although it's in tongues, it's not a message in tongues, and there's a difference. There may be six people travailing at the same time. And which is equally as necessary, right? Who doesn't want somebody praying in tongues for them? So it—it's it, just the more that the more that we're operating in them, the more clarity that comes, and the more we understand, and the better that we can operate in them. And and like I've told you countless times before, don't don't be afraid if you're feeling that unction. Amen. Don't be afraid to, to yield to the gift. Uh, it's a gift from God. I'll preface that with one thing. The greatest gift you can have, and the only gift that I've ever really claimed, I've, I've talked about operating in other gifts, but the only gift I really claim is the gift of the Holy Ghost. And if you've got the gift of the Holy Ghost, then you have access to the gifts of the Spirit. Because you have the Spirit.
0: Well, no, that's good. You know, and sometimes sometimes I've been in settings where uh, there'll be a message in tongues, and maybe it doesn't seem like there's any interpretation that's forthcoming. And to that, I would say, sometimes it's easy, and and I don't want to get into the what-ifs, because you can get lost in the what-ifs, but I will say this. Sometimes it's easy in a moment like that where there doesn't seem like there's an interpretation forthcoming. It, it, it can be easy to think, well, you know, there's a, we failed. You know, the church failed. We, we blew it. Um, sometimes there's, sometimes the Lord's doing more than we give him credit for. Um, I know a story of one time in church service that there was a message in tongues that went forth, and there didn't seem to be any interpretation, and, and that can be for any variety of reasons. But I do know there were a couple things that were also happening that, ha- that came to light after that service. There was a lady there uh, that came into that service completely questioning whether tongues were real at all. And when that happened in that service, uh, it was something that was so supernatural that it changed her mind about it and, and was a witness to her that this, this was real. Uh, and then there was another thing that was happening during that service as well. There was a Lebanese uh, young lady there. Uh, from, from, she was an exchange student from the Middle East, and she was at that service for the first time with her friend, and uh, this message in tongues that went forth uh, that everyone was waiting on an interpretation for, uh, it was actually in Arabic. No one else knew Arabic, but this Lebanese girl knew Arabic, and this Lebanese girl didn't know what was going on, and she got onto her friend and said, why did you set me up and bring me here? so that somebody could get on my case in Arabic about all my sins and things going on in my life? And her friend's like, I, what are you talking, I didn't do that, you know? And she finally convinced her that it wasn't a setup, it was, the whole, it, was a, it was a sovereign act of God. And it was a witness to this Lebanese young lady that the religious system that she'd always grown up under was insufficient and here she was coming into contact with something that was real and authentic, and alive. And I only tell that story to say, sometimes there's more going on. There's more going on than just sometimes the, uh, the cookie cutter, if there is such a thing in the Holy Ghost, than the cookie cutter one, two, three process. Sometimes there's other things happening, and we just need to trust God. That he's doing it and we need to follow after the Holy Ghost. Me and Bishop Williams were talking before service about how a lot of times it seems like these things in our day and age are kind of on the decline. We we need I think if there was a letter being written to the church today, it, it would have that sentence in it that says, Quench not the spirit. We can become and, and he said this earlier. We live in an age where everyone is so self conscious. That sometimes we can fail to yield to the Holy Ghost and let him have his way, and uh hmm, right, because we're afraid that we're going to fail, uh we're afraid that it's our reputation at stake, and uh what it comes down to, if we're just going to say it very plainly, uh a lot of times we're not fully submitted to the Holy Ghost, we're afraid of of how we're going to look instead of instead of praying that prayer. That I started off with earlier, that says, "God, do something through me." God, do something through me. You want to talk about the thing?
1: Well, we were talking. You and I were talking. Okay, about yeah. Let's it. talk about it. So, some. T- I, I just don't <laughs> want to leave. I don't want them leaving. <laughs> yeah. Without us talking about it. Okay. Because it's so. I, I guess the thing you're talking about is 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 the, how do you know when you're praying for God to use you uh, in these gifts? Um, And you're in the service, and you feel that unction, but you don't really have but one word. Or maybe you don't. You, you just don't know how to navigate through that.
0: You feel like the Lord is going to use you to speak a message in tongues?
1: Right. And now I'm going to give you, the only example I can ever give you is my example. I know there's others in here that are used in these gifts, and you can give your examples. Uh, but I have the microphone. The first message I ever gave in tongue, God gave me one word. And it was a word I didn't even know. I'd never, I, something I'd never uttered before. And my pastor had been working with me and helping me and encouraging me. And we'd been praying. And and, uh, so I just gave the one word. And then there was another word. And then there was another word. So there's an element of faith that has to operate with these gifts, right? Right. And it just kind of turned into what it turned into. Same way with the interpretation. Right. First time I ever interpreted, interpret, interpreted, interpreted a message, uh, I just had one word. But when I said that one word, it just kind of, the faucet came on, and it started flowing. Amen? Uh, since then, uh, things have kind of, as you mature, uh, you kind of get away from the milk and you get onto the meat, right? Things for me have changed. And a lot of times I'll see a sentence and I know what that sentence means, or uh, a picture. I'll see a, a vision, a picture of what's, and I'm describing, for an example, someone gives a, a message in tongues. I may see the interpretation as a vision, and then I describe what they just said based on the picture they painted, right? So you just have to navigate through it. Now, Don't make it more complicated than what it is, and it's probably never, I should have probably never said nothing because it's probably not going to be that way for you. But don't be surprised if it's not something like that, Mm -hmm. something that's just kind of out of, God, God's not gonna. Uh, he's not gonna make. If if he gives one person a message and one person an interpretation, everybody in the room's not gonna have it. So and there may me- be multiple people. And in fact, is and 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 I told Pastor this before we started the service. I've noticed over the last few years myself holding back uh, in giving a message or giving an interpretation waiting because I feel like God's using some wanting desiring to use someone else and I'll and I'll pull back and wait and I know some of these other uh, people that are using this gift I noticed them doing the same things amen uh, because every you know we've got to have this next generation operating in the gifts right and stepping out it, it exercising their faith and one
0: of the other things to consider before we close tonight that I want to make sure we mention since we're here is a lot of times, and you may have heard someone say it before, a lot of times someone will say that if there's a message in tongues, uh, the interpretation has to be of equal length in order to be valid. And I I would say that's, that's not true. That doesn't hold any water. And here's why. If you've ever... If you've ever taken a language class and you had to translate a a sentence from one language to another language, if the languages, especially if the languages aren't close to one another, um, what what you're able to say in one word in English, it might take a whole sentence to say in Japanese, and vice versa, what you're able to say and what you have to spend a whole sentence saying. You know, you know, you you get what I'm saying. So a lot of times there's not a literal word-for-word word, uh, translation that is from one language to the other, um, and sometimes it will be close. Sometimes, sometimes it might be close to of equal length uh, for whatever reason. But a lot of times it'll be an exposition or an amplification, like he was describing. Uh, sometimes it it'll it'll be fleshed out a little bit. So a good example that I'll give you, and, and then we'll Pray and, and dismiss for the night because I, I, know, uh, I know what time it is. Um, Daniel chapter five, Belshazzar's having his feast. There's a hand that starts writing on the wall. It's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's a hand that starts writing on the wall. Hand writings on the wall. And there's four words. Four words. It's many, many, tekel you farsen. Four words. You know what it literally means? Here's what it means. Numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. That doesn't mean anything to anybody. Literally, that's not a message. That's just a string of words. But that's what was written on the wall, and they brought Daniel in. And Daniel, what did he do? He gave the interpretation. And you know what he says? Daniel chapter 5. He says, this is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel you farsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. uh, And then Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Well, that interpretation is a lot longer than the message. I don't see anybody trying to say that that's not real. That he that Daniel missed it because so that's just an example. I'm not being combative about it. I'm just being just being a little argumentative about it, I guess.
1: Can I say I don't know where that came from. I, I don't know either. But somebody somewhere once said that can't be the interpretation because it was longer than the message. And and some other carnal person <laughs> grabbed a hold of that. And then I've had seasoned ministers stand and tell me that, that the message in tongues and interpretation wasn't valid because they weren't the same length. I'm like, show me that in the book.
0: Show now here, me that.
1: Where did, you, where did that come from? Now They've now, heard it from somewhere. Now,
0: here's the other side of the coin. I'm always the one to give you both sides. So here's the other side. So... That, that dog won't hunt with me, okay? That's, that doesn't work. But the other side of the coin is this. That doesn't mean that every time there's an in tongues and interpretation, that the interpretation is above reproach, is above question, okay? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29 says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets, is what it says. So here's what's important. we suspicious. We don't need to have a suspicious spirit about it. But it does mean two things. We need another one of the gifts of the spirit in operation, the discerning of spirits. That's very helpful because sometimes something, there'll be an outburst of some kind in service, and it's not always of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes it's flesh, and sometimes it's demonic. And we need the discerning of spirits to be in operation so that we can know sometimes what's what. And the second is this, and this doesn't seem as supernatural, but it's equally true, a knowledge of the Word of God. Because if there's something that comes through in an interpretation or a prophecy in a church service that contradicts or does not line up with the Word of God, or that somehow decides to sidestep the word of God. Or create a loophole in the word of God. Or whatever. That doesn't fly either. And so we need those things. We need checks. And the Lord's given those to us. Because we're a body. We're a body. That's why God will use one to give a message in tongues and an interpretation or a prophecy. Word of prophecy. And he'll have, have one in the body who is able to discern spirits and he'll have others that are teachers that are knowledgeable in the word of God and together we can be edified by the gifts of the spirit. Amen? Let's stand. I want God to do something through me. As we dismiss, let's pray and let's just pray that prayer together. Lord, do something in me, but do something through me. Come on, can we do that right now? Lift it up our hands across this sanctuary.